Hi, and welcome back to Crypto Bytes. My name is Kevin. On Crypto Bytes, we talk about cryptocurrency topics and break it down into digestible bytes. On week one's episode, we talked about what is blockchain. And now we're going to dive a little deeper and tell you why you shouldn't care. With me, I have my co-host, Mackenzie, to help us break it down. Hi, Mackenzie. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy to be back. Good to have you back. Thank you. I'm excited to be a co-host. I liked it so much, you can't get rid of me. (laughs) So if you remember what we talked about on episode one, what is blockchain? We described it as an open, distributed, secure, immutable database. And the problem that the blockchain was trying to solve was to eliminate powerful intermediaries, such as credit card companies, governments, uh, social media companies that you know have all the control and don't provide a super efficient system. So some of the problems with having powerful intermediaries are that we talked about on week one was they were slow. Some like when you want to transfer money to one person to another, it could take days. And if you want to uh, transfer that money, there will be a fee involved that the intermediary will take. Pretty hefty fee, often. Yeah. And we, we understood that they are centralized, so prone to attack. And um, we also know that they don't include everyone in the world. Uh, sometimes it's inefficient for a bank to operate in a country based on not having a minimum amount to set up a bank account. Um, so we're going to be talking about why you should care and why does it matter? So we're going to break it down into five opportunities that we see that the blockchain can solve. Okay. I like it. Five opportunities that we're going to focus on, on why you should care about blockchain. Why does it matter? Number one, protecting the rights through immutable records. Number two, create a true sharing economy. Number three, end the remittance ripoff. Number four, enable citizens to own and monetize their data. And ensuring compensation for the creators of value. So going back and we'll break it down. Number one, protect the rights through immutable records. Immutable records, we talked about last week, are once they're on the blockchain, they're, they stay on the blockchain, regardless of a government or a central authority that could be corrupt and change the records for their own gain. And from what I remember, you can only, the only way you can make a change is if you change the entire blockchain. You can't go back and just edit one cell of that blockchain. That is correct. Okay. Each block contains a record or a timestamp from the previous block. Got it. So in order to change a block, you have to also change the block before it. And then as a chain, there's multiple blocks that precede that block. Got it. So we know that about 70% of the land in, in the world 
is untitled or undeed. So that's a powerful thing because if like what what gives you like how do you know who has right over a particular plot of land if it's not documented correctly? It's almost like your word versus another person's word. Mm-hmm. And we use the example in the first week where if, you know, a, unfortunately, if a war broke out in your country and you had to flee your land, and once you return to your land, if someone's living there, how do you prove and who has say over the other on um, who owns that land, who owns the house on that land? So right. it's almost like what countries are using these days is kind of like the grandma test where it's like you take the oldest person in the village and they're the ones that say, oh no, she like he or she's been living there for X amount of years before this person. So it's theirs. So it would definitely give people um, control and, you know, freedom to... Freedom and ownership of their own land and life, really. I can't imagine being somewhere for 20 years, yeah. being forced out and, and then not is, able to return. That is a real problem Absolutely. out there. So uh, number two, create a true sharing economy. So I think we, you know, Lyft just went public <laughs> and we saw that they're worth $26 billion, I believe. Yeah, at so, least. So the question remains, is it an actual sharing economy? Because it does seem that... These intermediaries, such as like an Uber or a Lyft or an Airbnb, mm-hmm. are taking most of the gains for themselves and just kind of using your uh, your car or if in Facebook's example, using your content in order to, to get shit rich. Mm-hmm. So if you are able to eliminate that power intermediary, you put more money into the content creator or, you know, the house owner or the car owner's pocket. And that could be a powerful thing. There's a lot more money to go around once you eliminate a $26 billion intermediary. (laughs) And making a true sharing economy happens by being open and decentralized, going back to that definition of what a blockchain is. Is that correct? Yeah, absolutely. So it's open and Decentralized meaning it eliminates that central intermediary mm-hmm. and it's everyone controls it, meaning that's what decentralized mean. Everyone kind of controls it, whoever's a part of the blockchain, as opposed to a central intermediary that is kind of in charge of all the running pieces. Running the show. Running the and show. And getting the majority of the gains. Yes. Okay. Number three, let's talk about ending remittances. So you're going to have to explain to me what remittances are exactly. I know kind of yeah. the gist, but I, if you asked me to define it, I would not succeed. <laughs> yeah, so totally. The number one transfer of money from the developed world to the developing world mm-hmm. is not foreign aid. It is simply you sending money back home. So a lot of people out there can probably relate where... Uh, they migrated from a country and are sending money back home to mom, you know, dad, mom, sister, dad brother. family. Okay. Um, yeah, they work hard over here in, in order to you know, help their family back home. 
and these intermediaries take advantage of them. So about $400 billion is transferred a year from the developed country into the developing country. Wow. And um, at a rate of between 10 and 12% fee. Oh, my God. And the rates definitely do skyrocket depending on the country that you're trying to send it to. I was just going to ask, is it dependent upon where you're sending it to? It's not a flat. Right. So person. try sending money to, you know, the Middle East, Iran or Afghanistan. The fee will be immensely more expensive than, say, sending money from Chicago to Mexico. But mm -hmm. even though that's the case, there's still a large fee involved. And in Regardless. an age where you can send an email, takes seconds to send an email, and it's almost like costs nothing mm -hmm. in order to send money across borders. Uh, it takes days, three to five days on average, and you know, 10 to 12% fee that goes towards the uh, the intermediary in the bank that's in charge of processing that transaction. Right, right. Because they take that as almost a service fee, for lack of a better term. Is yeah, that and often also what just they claim? The, the, the system in place is just super inefficient oh. because normally how it works now is you transfer money through your U.S. bank, mm -hmm. and the U.S. bank then has to send money to the foreign bank in you know, Mexico or... And Iran. that's expensive in and of itself. Right. And then, you know, the tra the exchange, the exchange rate of the money as well, having to do that. And then, you know, the foreign bank to whoever you're trying to send it to across borders. It, it's just an inefficient system that we have today. Sounds like it. <laughs> so what it does is you're able to transact peer to peer and eliminate the intermediary involved that is, you know, taken the the fee we can use bitcoin's case as an example where you're able to you know send bitcoin almost instantly to anyone in the world for little to no cost i think i read or heard somewhere that isn't that fee potentially only like 0.002% versus it's very insignificant or 0.2% maybe it was versus that 10 12 15% which is an extreme difference. Yeah. I don't know the exact fee off the top of my head, but I do know it's insignificant to the point where you don't even notice that right. the, the total you're sending doesn't match the, the amount received. And when you're sending a thousand dollars and only 900 arrives on, on a good day mm -hmm. and five days later, Things that's, can improve. Yeah. <laughs> Things can improve. That is, that's not a good feeling to wake up to. And this is happening through blockchain and using Bitcoin, for an example, is happening in a matter of minutes to hours versus days to week. Correct. 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 That's amazing. Number four, enable citizens to own and monetize their data. So we can kind of take... Facebook, as an example, you know, okay. the all empower intermediary that, you know, is a genius of monetizing our data. Mm -hmm. That is what they sell in order to make money is our data. And 
what the blockchain hopes to do is give people back control of their data to be Kinda. able to you know you have what you have your virtual self your mm -hmm. virtual self meaning uh, the websites you go to your online history everything that you do online remains on like in a way remains online mm -hmm. and we know that you know advertisers or um, you know products are begging for our information so why is it that we can't control our data and why we can't monetize our data and you know Facebook and Snapchat and Instagram are the ones that are you know reaping all the gains for what essentially is ours mm -hmm. and I think I've also kind of heard a really good example or a good point as to why being able to monetize your own data is important is because that virtual self is almost more reliable in some ways than your actual self because I don't remember what I bought on May 1st 2016 but there is documentation of that in some regards and especially with the blockchain example you can go back and since it is impermeable no one can go and change it and mark it up or take it out it will always be there I know what I did this day four years ago Chances are I made a purchase, I posted a picture, I sent an email, I made a transaction of some sort, and that's all there. So if you can really almost trust that data more than my word and my human memory, that's really important for you to have control and be able to monitor it and have access to it at any time. Yeah, personally. Absolutely. You know, absolutely. once it's... Once the data is collected, it's just stored in a database, mm -hmm. and it just matter. It's just a matter of do we want control over that database being distributed and mm -hmm. secure, right? So not everyone can see your data um, unless you allow them to, and then you are able to um, reap some financial gain in order for sharing that to someone that might be interested. To, as opposed to now that database is stored in a central server under Facebook's warehouse. So, you know, they do as they please. And we have no access and no say as far as what they do with that information that is stored. Right. So, yeah, let's even talk, let's go a little further. Privacy, mm -hmm. right? So, Which I think people are, that's something I still am always in the back of my mind when I think of cryptocurrency or anything online with finance, I do get that kind of shaky feeling inside of how do I know that this is private and secure? Right. So, you know, we can, you know, going back to the Facebook example and one of the problems that blockchain was trying to solve, which is centralization. And we talked last week about, you know, the, the Home Depots, and I think you brought up like Jewel Osco hacked your credit card mm -hmm. because it becoming, it, it's a central point of attack for hackers to then um, take your data and your information. And, you know, as being in control of your data, you are, you are in control of what you give up as opposed to Facebook. Um, yeah. You give it to Facebook, they're going to figure out a way to monetize it without yeah. your permission or not. I mean, so how, and how they get around it is 
when you sign up for Facebook, t- TNC, Terms and Conditions, who reads that? No one. No one. You scroll the bottom, pages. hit I acknowledge, I'm, and move I on. Want, <laughs> I want Facebook now. Yeah. So enabling citizens to monetize their data, one of the five opportunities that the blockchain can provide. Mm-hmm. And last but not least, we only talked about five, but there's plenty more of opportunities uh, ensuring compensation for the creators of value. If we look at, if we just take an example, the music industry, mm-hmm. musicians are left with crumbs. Artists are left with crumbs after these powerful intermediaries get their fix. So, you know, you're an artist and you put out a hot song, um, a journalist writing a column or an artist doing paint. Um, chances are you're going to have to go through some powerful intermediaries in order to get it to your end customer, mm-hmm. whether it's a music studio or a record label. Yeah, there's musicians out there that are already kind of taking advantage of this and, um, you know, going and selling their music directly to their listeners and not having to really get ripped off by powerful intermediaries and, um, it kind of, kind of goes back into like a larger, a larger issue, um, that blockchain is trying to solve and kind of ties back into, you know, enabling citizens to own and monetize their own data where, you know, we see a different sense of redistributing wealth. Um, you know, our countries are getting richer, you know, every single day yet, the citizens are left out in some regards. The masses mm-hmm. are left out mm-hmm. where we need to, you know, kind of democratize our wealth a little differently. And giving, you know, having a true sharing economy and, you know, less fees that intermediaries are trying to take in rather than small portions of the population you know, reaping all the financial gains, what the blockchain does is it distributes wealth more evenly as opposed to, you know, the intermediaries and who's a part of that um, becoming the ones that, you know, do see most of the financial gains. And I think that's a powerful thing. And yeah, I guess it's just a matter of looking at how inefficient our system is now and being able to replace it with a technology that eliminates kind of the wastefulness, if we can think about it that way, the wastefulness being less money going into the hands of the content providers. If we look mm. at, you know, social media and your data, right? or if we look at Uber, you know, less money going into the driver's pocket, which we can, you know, argue that they are the ones doing the most work in that situation. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, so, you know, what, what these five opportunities really do is it redistributes wealth in a different way and a way that I think appeals to more people. Mm-hmm. And well, it's more fair. It sounds like it really is being distributed in a way that everyone can agree upon. And well, I, I wouldn't say everyone oh, well. because there are going, you know, yeah, there are because if you redistribute wealth more <laughs> evenly, that does take 
money out of the pockets of intermediaries that will be affected in the process. Um, the intermediaries such as, you know, credit card companies, um, social media content providers. Which is interesting when I think about it because while we are a crypto podcasts and we're kind of talking about those bases. It is interesting going back to what you said last episode, how you can't have cryptocurrency without a blockchain, but you can have a blockchain without cryptocurrency. And that goes to show just how powerful and important blockchain really is in our day-to-day life if it's being implemented in all these ways in a, you know, responsible atmosphere ecosystem yeah, it's you know absolutely. It's, it's it is pretty... a powerful technology that does need to be appreciated and just there's a ton of you know opportunities we only talked about five today but i mean the list does go on mm-hmm. um, yeah so to recap we talked about five of the opportunities that blockchain can provide in the future protecting the rights through immutable records creating a true sharing economy Ending the remittance ripoff, enabling citizens to own and monetize their data, and ensuring compensation for the creators of value. And we just talked about five, but many more cases out there. Um, if you're interested in subscribing to the podcast and the newsletter that we send out every week, you can go to redfog.com to subscribe. Redfog is a platform to help educate people about cryptocurrency through gamification and competition. So check us out at redfog.com. Well, thank you from Mackenzie for being a part with us this week. And we will catch you on the next one. Cheers. Thanks for having me. It's been fun.